Welcome to the Life of Christ, Series 4, Term 4, Lesson 29. We are going to pick up where we left off in Chapter 16. This is Jesus, Lord and Healer. And we're looking at the first section, Jesus, Lord of the Sabbath. Now, remember again, we began this last time looking at the errors that the Pharisees had made about their understanding of the Sabbath and the way that they were accusing Jesus of breaking the Sabbath. This all began uh, when it said in Matthew 12:1, at that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain. Remember that? And to eat. And it says, and when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. The reason that they actually don't say where Jesus was, but they just say at that time in verse 1, was because it didn't even matter when, uh, you know, when this was and where this was. Uh, all they were, what they were trying to, or what Matthew was trying to do was show us that the Pharisees had got to such a, a stage now where they were just looking to criticize Jesus at every opportunity that they could. All right, and so there's this there's this kind of mounting uh, rebellion that is beginning against Jesus. They just don't want him to continue in what he's doing. They think he's breaking their laws. He heals on the Sabbath. Now he's eating on the Sabbath, or his disciples are eating on the Sabbath. And so again, Hendrickson now concludes saying, obviously what was happening was that Christ's enemies were burying the real law of God, which did not in any sense forbid what the disciples were now doing under the mountain of their man-made foolish traditions. Now Jesus will address this in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 3, when he says to them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? That's the bottom of page 3. Do you see that? Amen. I'm going to turn the page. And we'll look at more of this later. For now, however, Robert H. Mount, this is the reason why I didn't want to go over all the other quotes. I've got so much still to go. Robert H. Mount explains why the Pharisees were so infuriated with Jesus when he writes, Had not God said, six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest. This is how the Pharisees are thinking, okay? And why they were so infuriated. In order that the Torah not be broken, the scribes and Pharisees had developed a precise code of regulations. 39 different kinds of work were prohibited on the Sabbath. Alright, there's a little uh, reference there. According to the book of Jubilees, a man is to die if on the Sabbath he goes on a journey, farms, lights a fire, rides a beast, travels by ship, kills a beast, or catches a fish. Now, you think about this. They put a person to death for catching a fish. A fish. It's how, this is how ridiculous it had become. And this was never God's intention. And why Jesus is going to try and correct their thinking in Mark 2.27 by saying to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. See, that was the key thing that was wrong with all of this. What they did was they took what God had gifted man as a day of rest and put him under bondage with it. You know, And we need to be really careful that we don't take things of God and put people into bondage with those things by making you know, legalistic traditions out of anything. And I've seen that happen even you know, in our circles, uh, in, in the way we, we talk about certain things. You know? uh, we, we, we pray for someone, and then we say, well, if they didn't get it, then that's their faith. Uh, and, and this has been something that very recently I have been 
uh, I guess, corrected, praise God, uh, something that I've always instinctively known has now been proven to be correct, and I praise God for that. And, you know, it was to do with that. And I'll give you this very quick example of this husband and wife team that uh, were in a healing ministry. And, I mean, they would get 90% of people healed. In fact, I think it was like 99% or something. You know, it's very rare if somebody didn't get healed. And we're talking about some incredible things. And uh, I, I really like one of the things that the lady said. Their name is Charles and Francis Hunter. Uh, I don't know if you know them or not, but they're the ones that have had encounters with angels and all sorts of things. They wrote a book. But um, they've had some incredible things happen. But I really loved what she said. You know, she was saying that, you know, there was a time this lady came up to her and she was sick in some way, very visibly sick. And, you know, uh, Francis had sort of said, you need, to be, you need some prayer for healing. And she goes, oh no, I've been prayed for by the best. You know, Aura Roberts and, you know, uh, Catherine Kuhlman and all of them, okay? And uh, she, she said, well, uh, you know, just common sense would say that you need, you know, you need prayer. She goes, no, 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 by his stripes I'm healed. And see, that was a legalistic thing that she was under. Because we had been taught that, you know, and how many have heard this being said? Well, you know, if you pray, one, if you pray a second time, you're in unbelief. How many have heard that one? Okay. So, and I want to tell you this story, because it's amazing how we can get legalistic. You know, we, we look at the Pharisees and get upset with them, but then let's look at us and make sure we're not doing the same thing. And that's the reason why we're doing the life of Jesus, because we want to make sure we don't get caught up in the same traps, and they're very deceptive, they're very um, subtle, that's what I'm looking for, the way they creep in. Are you all here? Amen? And so, you know, she said, why don't you come up tonight and we'll pray for you. And, you know, she was a bit hesitant, and she said, oh, all right. So she came up, and she, you know, she got prayed for, and nothing happened. And so she went home, and Francis said, come back tomorrow. You know, they were having a three-day meeting. I think it was like Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And she said, come back tomorrow, we'll pray for you again, you know. And uh, she didn't come back the next day. And Francis was a little bit sad. But on the third day, she came back. And she said, oh, you're back. And she, this lady said, yeah, you know, I, 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 I went to, uh, people from the church came to visit me. And uh, I told them what had happened, that you'd prayed. And they'd said, well, see, you don't have any faith. That's the problem. You don't, it's, it's not them, it's you. You know, the best have laid their hands on you. You're the problem. You don't have any faith. You know, and she said she was sitting with that. And then she remembered Francis' words. You know, if you don't get healed, come back. We'll pray for you again. <laughs> you know? And so, because of those words, she went back. And so, this lady, Francis, prays the exact same prayer over her. No different. The exact same prayer. Just like she had never prayed the first time. Which is something we were told never to do. Hello. She prayed the exact same prayer. Guess what happened? She got totally healed. And she said, I learned my lesson. And, you know, this lady Francis was saying, it's, an, it's really interesting how we've allowed certain religious legalities to come in, you know, and put people under condemnation, so that we are not doing what God has asked us to do. And I think there's a sense, you know, there's almost an element of pride there, that says, well, I prayed for you in faith, if you didn't get it, it's your fault. You know, you know what I'm trying to say? Amen? And so we need to be really careful about that. Uh, I, I really like one of the things that they said, and we'll get back to this in just a minute, you know, one of the things that they said was, they said, you know, one of the greatest things that you can do is just use common sense. 
If somebody was prayed for and they didn't get healed, pray for them again. See, we get all religiously tied up in it. They just said, pray for them again. Now these are people that have had like a 90% success rate. Now I don't know who's had that much success rate in all of our Word of Faith circles. Not that much. Do you understand? Uh, and just, just uh, as a by the way, their daughter, has, because they passed away a, a little while back, and their daughter has taken over, and she has even gone beyond them. She is praying for people and not just getting them healed. She is, caught, she is actually getting them healed of trauma. And she's even praying for people to forget things that have caused trauma. She is literally able to wipe people's minds of things that have been following them around all their life. Isn't that incredible? As much as heal people of just tremendous, just unbelievable things. And, and she has the same success rate, even a higher success, success rate now, than even her parents, which I think is a fantastic legacy. Amen? And uh, I think that's awesome. But I wanted to give you that example to show you how we can get caught up in legalities just like these people did. And that we really do need to be careful what we say to people, that we don't judge people, because that's exactly what these Pharisees are doing. They're judging Jesus. Amen? And let, let, let's, let us not be in that same situation, judging people when you know, what we think should happen didn't happen. Amen? Alright, so let's move on. Hallelujah. So we see even further evidence of their gross misunderstanding of the Sabbath with Leon Morris writing, The Jews took Sabbath observance very seriously. Thus when the enemy attacked on the Sabbath, listen to this, is incredible. In the days of the Maccabees, they let themselves be slaughtered, men, women, and children, rather than break the Sabbath day defending themselves. How stupid is that? At a later time, Pompey was able to erect the earthworks that made his siege of Jerusalem successful, quite unhindered by the, by the defenders, because he did it on the Sabbath day. See, this is the key to taking down religious people. Just look and see how, where their stupidity starts. And as soon as you... That's their weakness. Their religion is their weakness. And these people were able to identify that. And they, they're very smart people. They said, hey boys, we can do anything we want on the Sabbath. Because these people are so stupid, they don't get it. That God would much rather they die keeping some law. Which is why Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. Do you understand now? In other words, he's saying, since the Sabbath was made, was made for you, if you need to break it, break it, because it's for you. It's not there to, to imprison you, it is there to benefit you. If you need to fight, fight, stupid, take the next day off. As if God cares. See, the whole point of the Sabbath was to remember God. Remember that? Okay. I don't think God would mind if you took a day off to fight, because, you know, your life was in danger. But see how religion can take something that was meant to benefit man and put them in a position where they actually lose their life. Let me continue. Alright, so uh, let me read, read that again. At a later time again, Pompey was able to erect the earthworks that made his siege of Jerusalem successful quite unhindered by the defenders because he did it on the Sabbath. The Jews were ready to suffer rather than break the Sabbath. Thus the right use of this day, according to their flawed interpretation was of the utmost importance to the religious Jews in Jesus' day. And therefore, Jesus is now going to show that they had the wrong idea of the Sabbath altogether. It was a day for honoring God. 
which meant doing good, thus refreshing people or meeting their needs, Scripture shows the Pharisees to be in error. In fact, they had missed the whole point of this holy day. Alright, so notice again, it was a day for refreshing people, for meeting their needs. That was the point of it. It was to remember God, it was to honor God, and it was to do anything, anything that you did, if it honored God, it was good. Amen? The only thing that wasn't honoring to God, was if you were making money on that day, meaning you're thinking more about the money than God, and what did Jesus say? You can't serve God and money. Interesting, isn't it? He actually said that. Now we can get a little bit more insight into why he actually said that. Because this was the problem. They didn't get it. Amen? Jesus now responds with an incident that is recorded in 1 Samuel 21, verses 1 through 9, and shows these Jewish leaders that even though they were aware of what happened, they had failed to grasp its actual meaning. And so, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 3 now, he said, but he said to them, have you not read? Now here, Mark and Luke are a little bit more pointed with Jesus saying in Mark 2.25, have you never read? Alright, <laughs> so instead of saying, have you not read, Jesus goes, have you never read? And Luke saying, have you not even read this? What David did when he was in need and hungry? He and those who were with him. John MacArthur now writes, Jesus' sarcasm points out the main fault, I'm on the next page, of the Pharisees who claimed to be experts and guardians of Scripture. Yet they were ignorant of, it, of what it actually taught. See, you can know verses in the Bible and still not have revelation on them. I know that for a fact. I mean, I'm studying the Bible all the time and the number of times I have seen a verse and the revelation that I've got in a verse. And then I thought, wow, that is as much as I can get from... And then about a year later, I get another revelation. And then a year later, I get another revelation. <laughs> you know, I mean, Mark eleven twenty three, for example. The number of revelations I've got on that scripture is unbelievable. And only a couple of weeks ago, I got another revelation. You know, it's funny, as you start to do the word, as, as soon as you start to step out... Things start to jump out. And in fact, you know, God will start talking to you about things. And that's the difference between just knowing Scripture. People can rattle out Scriptures. But do you know what it means? You know, that's what the difference is. You know, and, and just, just by way of example, you know, one of, the, <laughs> one of the most amazing things that I saw in Mark eleven twenty three, you know, I was praying over something and, and um, something pretty big. Uh, and so, so I was praying, and, and, and I'm, I'm stepping out into some other things now, and believing God to do some pretty big things. And anyway, um, I started praying over this, and I said, God, what's my problem? What's happening here? You know, I'm, I'm really you know, making every effort to believe. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And then the Lord spoke to me, and He said something really interesting. He said, read Mark 11.23. He said, I put doubt in front of faith. I said, I never realized that. He said, that's the, he said, listen, he said, if you, st- a lot of people, I'll give you a little revelation now. Okay, this is again, knowing of scripture and getting revelation are two different things. Now, I, I've, I could preach on Mark eleven twenty three 23 for the next 50 minutes. But let me just give you this, this one thing that I needed to know. God said, what you are trying to do is build your faith on top of doubt. And I thought, wow. Because, you know, a lot of times we're trying to overcome our doubt with faith. Who, who knows what I'm talking about? You know, and he said, no, you can't do that. 
You can't build faith on top of doubt. You can't say, okay, I'm going to believe and, and have this, in, in this with this thought of, okay, I'm trying not to doubt, I'm going to believe more than I doubt. Can I say it that way? Okay? Which is what a lot of us do without thinking about it. Whenever we try to do something, that's what the problem is. We are trying to overcome our doubt with faith. And the Lord just said to me, He said, no, you just have to stop doubting. He said, you can't build your faith on top of doubt. He said, forget about the faith part, just stop doubting. Because He said, if you stop doubting, then the faith will flow automatically, and there's nothing in the way undermining your faith. See, and that's a lot of times the problem that we have. For example, so that was, and I won't go and preach on it, okay. <laughs> but that was a revelation that I got off a scripture that I have been reading for the longest time. And so this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying you know things, but you don't really have any insight into them. You know the scriptures. If, I, you know, if he was to ask any of the Pharisees, you know, tell me what this is. Remember, they had to memorize before they became a Pharisee, they had to memorize, I think, all the five books of the, you know, five books of Moses, the Pentateuch, okay? And they need to know word by word, you know? And so they knew stuff. But Jesus is looking at them and saying, you people know scripture, you've memorized it, but you guys don't know what they actually mean. So, getting back to this, and so Jesus goes on to educate them by saying in verse 4, He says, how He, now He's t- t- teaching them, that is David, entered the house of God, now Mark adds, in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him. Now I want you to see a parallel taking place here. Who is Jesus with? His disciples. Okay, Who is he making an example of? David with his men. Okay, so we have a leader and their men in both of these scenarios. Are you with me? Okay. Just a little cool parallel you need to see. Because he's doing something very clever here. And so he says, Luke says, to whom he also gave to eat. Alright. So he says again, let me just, in case I miss something. And he ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him. And Luke says, to whom he also gave to eat, but not only for the priest. So he's saying... Wasn't that only for the priests? And yet David took and ate it, and he gave it to his men. Now remember, David is their hero. Okay, I mean, David could do no wrong. Because under David's reign, you know, David conquered everybody. Which is why they wanted, to, they wanted Jesus to be the same way. He just, you know, forget about peace, just conquer everybody, and then, you know, you're the conqueror. They have to listen to what you have to say. So you, you can walk around with your head high and you know, just tell everybody what to do, basically. Which is what these Jews wanted. Now, let's, let me read some comments here. First, as to Mark's comment, in the days of Abiathar the high priest, John MacArthur explains that the phrase in the days can mean during the lifetime. According to 1 Samuel 21.1, Ahimelech was the priest who gave the bread to David. Abiathar was Ahimelech's son who later was the high priest during David's reign. Since Ahimelech died shortly after this incident, all right, it is likely that Mark simply added this designation to identify the well-known companion of David, who later became the high priest along with Zadok. All right? In other words, even though Abiathar was not the actual high priest at the time, it was a time period that people could easily identify with, in the same way we might reference an event by saying, you know, around the time of the First World War, even though it wasn't 
necessarily, you know, actually during World War I. So people go, oh yeah, we know what that time period is. It was that sort of a thing. Next, as to the showbread mention, it refers to the 12 loaves of unleavened bread representing the 12 tribes of Israel that were placed on the table in the sanctuary of the tabernacle and at the end of the week replaced with fresh ones. Alright, are you getting the picture? And so while it was not normally lawful for David and his companions to eat the showbread, neither did God want them to starve. So nowhere does the scripture condemn them for eating this bread. Okay, alright. With this background in mind, William Hendrickson, we'll finish with this one, in his commentary on Matthew chapter 12, verses 3 and 4, paraphrases Jesus as saying to the Pharisees, you pride yourself in being the very people who uphold the law, and you deem yourselves to be so thoroughly versed in it as to be able to teach others. Yet, are you yourselves unacquainted with the fact that even this very law allowed its ceremonial restrictions to be ignored in the cases of necessity? How have you not read about David and the bread? If then David had a right to ignore a divinely ordained ceremonial provision, when necessity demanded this, for surely Jesus, God's anointed, in a far more exalted sense, has the right to set aside a totally unwarranted, man-made Sabbath regulation. I think that kind of nails it right down. Amen? So, we're getting some insight into this, and, and Jesus is saying, Listen, if you allow that, then you will you know that this isn't unlawful. But understand something. Remember, if you're looking to criticize someone, it doesn't matter. You will just condemn it on any front that you can find. Are you all here? Amen? And this is obviously a recurring theme I've said here. This is going to be a recurring theme. And at the heart of every major conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders. That is, all their man-made religious ceremonial rabbinic, rabbinical regulations which amounted to a total misapplication of God's holy law, that ultimately, when applied, was in total opposition to the law of God it was originally based on. Did you get all of that? So, see, that's what was such a problem here. Things had started from God's perspective and ended with man's rules, regulations, and their understanding, or their interpretation of what they thought God meant. And added, in fact, to so much of what God said, that it no longer represented what God had originally said about anything. Are you all here? And that's the reason why when Jesus came up, see, what should have happened is, if you kept the law correctly, what should have happened is when Jesus turned up, you would have looked at Jesus and thought, Whoa, this is everything that we've been studying. He is doing everything precisely, exactly to the letter of the law. Should have been the thing. Remember what Jesus said? I have not come to what? Do away with the law. I've come to fulfill every jot and every tittle. You know, every tiny little thing. And if that was the case, these people should have been astounded by the way that He walked this line and fulfilled all the law and everything and yet did things that they thought were impossible. You know, and instead of them saying, you know, uh, a Messiah or Lord or, or, or a Rabbi, how are, you to, how, how are you doing this when we thought we couldn't do this? Then he would have explained it. Immediately he would have said, well, and explained the whole thing. But instead of having that kind of teachable attitude and wanting to learn about what Jesus was doing, they just had this attitude of, you're doing everything wrong. 
we know you're doing everything wrong. And because of that, he had to keep correcting them, which then caused them to get on the defensive. You know, when you correct somebody, you know what I'm trying to say? Especially if they don't like you to start with. It doesn't go down well, does it? Amen? Okay. And what, what, what Jesus was trying to do was save them. You know, what they didn't realize was all of their stupidity and their laws and the strife that it brought between the houses within the Jewish nation was, was weakening them. Every, every day, every week, every month, every year, to the point where it was going to get to, where even Rome was going to get sick of them. And go, you know what, we have put up with all of your bickering and carrying on long enough, we're wiping you all out. Remember again, I've said this before, you know, 70 years later, they just came and just wiped them all out. Okay, uh, a general by the name of Titus came and one day, one million Jews, he just put to the sword, burned down the temple. I mean, it just, everything that they had so much pride in, in one day was gone. Incredible, wasn't it? And that's actually what I believe Jesus saw was coming if they didn't repent. Do you understand? Because they didn't repent, they, they put themselves on that track, kept themselves on that track, and that was their end. So, alright, we have... Um, Let's take a break. It's time for a break. And we'll come back and we'll pick up exactly at this point and continue on from there.